Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel Podcast, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and also help them to succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we'll be talking to Stan Caldwell, a structural engineering consultant who provides structural engineering consultation, primarily with respect to construction litigation. After 45 years of managing and mentoring dozens of young structural engineers, Stan has seen firsthand the various struggles that engineers face in building successful careers. This is the first of a two-episode series in which Stan will provide five tips for young structural engineers, which will help them to succeed in this high-liability profession. The next episode of this series will focus on five tips for structural engineering managers. I'm your co-host, Alexis Clark. I'm a licensed professional engineer in Texas, where I lead the engagement strategy for the structural engineering community of Hilti, North America. I have an undergraduate degree in civil engineering from the University of Texas at Austin. And I'm your co-host, Matthew Picardle. I'm a licensed engineer practicing on structural projects in California with an undergraduate degree from Cal Poly Pomona and a master's degree in structural engineering from UC San Diego. Before we get started, This is a free show, and our sponsors help us keep it free, so please support them. Now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. A big thank you to EMI's sponsor, Mazer Consulting, a privately owned, multidiscipline engineering firm with 950 employees in 32 offices nationwide and growing fast. Mazer Consulting's engineers, planners, surveyors, landscape architects, and environmental scientists provide professional services to a diverse client base across the public and private sectors. Headquartered in New Jersey with projects coast to coast, Mazer's offices are strategically positioned to provide comprehensive services to meet their clients' needs. Mazer Consulting is committed to the success of their clients and employees. I'd also just like to mention some positive news in the world of structural engineering. More than two years of advocacy by the Ohio Society of Professional Engineers and others has paid off the successful passage of Tyler's Law, House Bill 189, signed by the governor of Ohio on November 6th. The legislation to help strengthen amusement safety in Ohio, uh, including placing a PE on the Ohio Advisory Council on Amusement Ride Safety. Unfortunately, the legislation follows the death of Marine Recruit Tyler Jarrell, and injury to seven others at the 2017 Ohio State Fair when the fireball ride broke apart during operation. The incident was allegedly due to corrosion in a steel support beam. We did have a past episode with Richard Maloney of Mazer Consulting to discuss the structural engineer's role in roller coaster design. That was episode number 10, and this law will help ensure that more structural and other licensed professional engineers will be more involved in amusement park ride design, at least in Ohio for now. So some good news there. Absolutely. Fantastic to see that our legislative actions taken by our structural engineering community are actually going into effect and improving safety for the public. That's awesome. I'd now like to introduce our guest for this episode, Stan Caldwell. Stan currently provides structural engineering services as a sole proprietor in Plano, Texas. His focus is on construction litigation, working primarily as a consultant to defense attorneys. After earning his BSCE and MSCE degrees at UW-Madison, go Badgers, he has gained 49 years of experience in the analysis, design, and management of more than 800 projects, including buildings, bridges, and specialty structures. 
The buildings range from a thousand square foot to a million square foot, and the bridges range from a hundred feet to twenty-two thousand feet. The specialty structures include retaining walls, spillways, levees, large underground vaults, wharfs, offshore oil platforms, pipelines, and elevated LNG tanks. His experience encompasses all types of steel, concrete, masonry, and timber construction, as well as all common foundation systems. Beyond the workplace, he has served as a leader with SEAT, the Structural Engineering Association of Texas, ACEC, and TVPE in Texas, and with ASCE, SEI, AEI, SECB, and NCSEA nationally. We mentioned earlier that in this episode, Stan will provide five tips for young structural engineers. These tips include mind the gap, ensure stability, design first, then compute, be a sponge, and last but not least, own your work. So let's jump into the conversation and meet Stan. I would like to welcome Stan Caldwell, Structural Engineering Consultant. Stan, welcome to the Structural Engineering Channel podcast. Thank you. Stan, we introduced you earlier on the show, but in your own words, could you please tell our listeners about yourself and what you do on a daily basis? I've actually had five careers. I worked the first eight years as a structural engineering expert in the oil industry, offshore primarily. Then I was hired to uh, start a branch office for a structural engineering firm in the nuclear industry that wanted to diversify into the offshore oil industry. After four years of that, I decided to start my own firm in Dallas, which was a building design firm. I had not designed any buildings since college, and I didn't even know any architects or other structural engineers that designed buildings, but nevertheless, fearlessly started that. And over a period of six years, built it into one of the premier building design firms in Dallas. And then my firm was acquired by Half Associates, which at the time was the largest integrated civil engineering firm in Dallas. And I joined them on April Fool's Day, 1988, as vice president, principal stockholder, and manager of the Structures Group successfully that ran that group for 25 years, designing buildings and bridges, lots of them. And then at the end of 2012, at the ripe age of 65 and a half, I thought that I was retiring. The defense attorneys in Dallas did not think that. I had been doing some expert witness work defending structural engineers, and they refused to let me retire. So I've been working from home for the last seven years unexpectedly defending structural engineers and occasionally civil engineers and architects on major construction litigation. And I continue to do that today on a part-time basis. I find it to be uh, very enjoyable. What a career, right, Alexis? Yeah, that's really such a fascinating career path. And I think it's so fantastic that you actually kind of, in a very technical and very serious manner, get to give back to the engineers and those who are designing now as an expert witness. That's such a fantastic opportunity. And one thing I did not mention in terms of giving back is throughout my career, I've always been happy to volunteer outside the workplace. I've been involved at all levels of SEAT, which is the Structural Engineers Association of Texas, including president. I've been on the 
ASCE board of direction. I was the first ever technical region director elected to the board. I was also fortunate uh, in 2008 to serve on the executive committee, which is the inner sanctum of seven people that oversee ASCE on a daily basis. I've also uh, been on the board of governors of both the Architectural Engineering Institute and the Structural Engineering Institute. And I've served as an officer with uh, NSC, NCSEA, SECB, and a number of other organizations. I've always found that volunteering is very worthwhile, especially for me. It's, it's been a wonderful thing. What do you do in your spare time, Stan? I've got three grandchildren within a 10-mile radius, and uh, they're very active in all manner of sports, which grandparents are pretty much expected to attend. Their activity keeps you active. I've got a big swimming pool in my backyard, which is where you'll find me in the summertime. When I retired, I treated myself to a Porsche Boxster, and uh, you'll find me out uh, speeding around country roads when the weather's nice. Well, all of your fantastic volunteer experience with all of these different professional organizations on top of your already very impressive career history definitely leads me to believe that you are, in fact, the expert we should be talking to today. When we talk about this fantastic two-part series, we're actually pulling from two specific articles you wrote for Structure Magazine that include five tips for young engineers and five tips for engineering managers. Is that correct? That is correct. How did you develop these five tips? What was it that really got you to this point and and were able to define that these five things were what make a successful engineer? It started with the article on young engineers. I uh, was part of an informal email group that consisted of senior structural engineers around the country who'd all gotten to know each other through volunteer leadership positions. And one day I received an email from a structural engineer on the West Coast. She explained that she was going to be making a presentation to a bunch of young engineers, and she wanted advice on what tips she might give them. This went to a group of maybe two or three dozen engineers, and I sat on it for a couple of days and molded over. Finally, I wrote a response with uh, what I thought were the five most important pieces of advice that she might give. Unbeknown to me, the editors of Structure Magazine were part of that email list, and the next thing I knew, they contacted me and asked if I could take that email and uh, develop it into an article for uh, Structure Magazine. And I did that. It was published in July of 2016. Stan, I know from reading the article, but for our listeners, just to elaborate more, one of your talking points is mind the gap. What do you exactly mean by that? I will admit to you the phrase came from riding the subways in London. If you've spent any time on the subways in London, you memorize the phrase mind the gap. But the gap that is important to me for young engineers uh, is a totally different gap. It's the gap in load paths. Let me start by explaining that a complete load path defines how your carefully calculated vertical and lateral loads are going to find their way to the foundation of your structure. Reliable load paths that are continuous are essential for all structures, and their absence is one of the leading causes of failures. Let me give you an example right here in my neighborhood. In a suburb of Dallas a few years ago, town decided that it wanted to celebrate its perennial football championships by building a new stadium for its high school football team. 
Now, when it opened in September of 2012, this made local and national news because it was not just any high school football stadium. It cost $60 million, which was way more than any other high school football stadium at that point in time. And with 18,000 seats on two tiers, lower bowl and upper bowl, it was one of the largest high school stadiums in America. Again, it opened in September of 2012 to great acclaim. 18 months later, it was abruptly deemed to be unsafe and closed to the great embarrassment of the school district. Repairs took 15 months, cost almost $13 million, and the stadium reopened. So what were they repairing? They were closing gaps in lateral load paths. There was many, but just to pick three, there was no way to transmit lateral loads on the press box down through the upper seating bowl to the lower seating bowl to the ground. That load path had a huge gap, major problem. Another one, this was a real head scratcher, is on the four corners of the stadium, there were one-story concession buildings. These are rather large, chevron-shaped plan. The four walls were sheer walls with heavily reinforced CMU. The roof was a properly designed steel diaphragm. The architect wanted a reveal, so the sheer wall stopped two feet short of the roof framing, and the closure was made with non-structural CMU. There was no way to transmit wind loads through those buildings. Last but not least, again, this was an unusual high school stadium. There was a video board, high resolution, 72 feet wide, 36 feet high, supported 20 feet off the ground on four large wide flange columns. And those columns were connected with moment connections into drilled shafts, which as designed had no capacity for overturning resistance whatsoever. There were a lot of repairs. The uh, architect uh, slash design team, because the structural engineer was actually an employee of the architect, the design team and the contractor did not want litigation, and so they agreed to foot the bill for all of the investigation repairs. And again, it cost them nearly $13 million, and 95% of the issues related to gaps in load paths. So load paths, gaps, can be a big deal. I recommend that every engineer track your load paths and close any gaps that you'll find. Now, in tracking your load paths, don't rely on your computer software because the gaps most often occur as system changes. As you go from steel framing to concrete framing, or as you go from concrete framing to precast framing, and very often your structural model stops right where the gap is, and so the software would not catch the gap but it can be easily done without any calculations, just with a trained eyeball going through your structure and tracking the load. And as you're tracking those loads, think about Mother Nature. Mother Nature is all about first principles. She could care less about codes and equations. And unlike you and I, Mother Nature always chooses the path of most resistance, not the path of least resistance. That is. Stiffer elements will always receive proportionally more load than the relatively flexible elements nearby, regardless of your design intent. I know as a structural or a civil engineer practicing structural engineering, it's really true, if you, especially if you're working on building design, uh, which I work on a lot. And 
you know, that's some of the things that we try to train the younger engineers because as you notice, it's always tracking the load path and kind of the devil's always in the details and it's not really necessarily maybe the members oversized or whatnot, but really tracking that load path to make sure that because it's so easily missed, especially if you're a young engineer. So I think that's some really great advice. I really appreciate that you actually gave the example of the uh, local North Texas stadium because that affected me in my first year out of college being an engineer. And I know that that can be a very impactful story for many others, even if you are not from the Texas area. The second tip that you offer in your five tips for young engineers is to ensure stability. What does that mean? Let me start this way. Young engineers typically have been trained in college to design beams and columns accurately, but the devil is not there. It is in the details. Structures rarely fail because beams or columns are substantially undersized. More often, failure is due to unanticipated loads, inadequate load paths, inadequate connections. A recent example would be the Florida Pedestrian Bridge or instability. Now, instability can take many forms. And typically, when a structure fails due to instability, it is during construction, not after the project has gone in service. Not long ago, I was involved in a project in Fort Worth that failed due to missing or insufficient diagonal braces, lateral braces, bridging, and local stiffener plates. This was a crummy little project for a crummy little fee. It was the roof of a underground vault. And since it was a crummy little project, the structural engineer assigned the job to an EIT who happened to be a H-1B visa holder from Spain. And this young man had an excellent understanding of concrete, but he apparently was not aware of Section J-10 of the AISC specifications. When the failure occurred, and it actually occurred on two different locations, it involved lateral torsional buckling, local flange bending, local web yielding, local web crippling, and local web compression buckling. In other words, the full boat. It failed in every stability mechanism that a steel structure could fail. The uh, engineer's fee on that project was $3,000, and he was the sole defendant facing a claim of $3 million. So stability is important. Usually we think of steel structures when we think of instability. It can also be a problem with concrete structures. Not too long ago, a few years ago, I witnessed a 10-level precast parking garage collapse like a house of cards in San Antonio, Texas. This was a design-build project. The uh, structure, I already said, was 10 levels. It was a parking garage for 3,300 cars. It was a proprietary design. It was a moment frame made entirely out of precast members with the integral post-tension precast deck. Somehow, in the last 10% of the project, they had the framing, the columns and the beams, erected 10 stories high and had neglected to grout the connections. Well, without that grout, they have no moment connections, which are absolutely fundamental to the stability of that structure. They also neglected to install the prescribed temporary diagonal bracing. So we had a 10-story house of cards. It collapsed 21 minutes before noon on Valentine's Day, 
2011, an alarm went off and the 120 or so construction workers on the ground in the footprint ran for their lives, literally. There were two workers on man lifts that could not escape. They ended up living, but they were in critical care for months, very seriously hurt. A total of 1,225 tons of debris crashed down in a matter of seconds. That was a $25 million claim. The insurer paid the claim. It was a project policy. Then they subrogated against all of the firms involved in the project only to discover that the responsible parties were their insureds. So everyone else was off the hook. The important thing here is, as a structural engineer, you will find yourself in an uncomfortable situation if your structure becomes unstable while it is being built. And it is much more likely to become unstable while being built than after the construction is complete. So pay attention to the stability of your structures, not just when they are completed, but also while they are under construction. Like you're saying in school, sometimes we're usually just designed to, uh, or taught just to, you know, design beams and columns and all these things that during construction, you know, are often neglected. So thanks for that. Also, the next tip that you had this statement, it was basically design first, then compute. And you mentioned that one should deliberately avoid the computer until they've manually designed the structure. Can you elaborate on that statement? I'd be happy to. I first need to explain where I'm coming from. I analyzed structures on a computer as a uh, sophomore in 1996. I designed structures for the first time on a computer a year later. And then for my master's thesis in 1970, I wrote four finite element programs from scratch. And this is when finite element was not yet taught in the curriculum. And this was way before personal computers. This was mainframe, computer card decks, much different than what we enjoy today. Throughout my career, I have embraced computers, or perhaps than anyone I've met. By the early 1980s, I'd accumulated 300-some structural software packages, which I all had running on my PC with an interactive menu, and this was in DOS before the days of Windows. That continued on until, at the time I retired, the founder of RISA gifted me a lifetime perpetual license to RISA 3D as a thank you because I had steered so much business his way. I am all about computers and computer software as much as anyone I've ever met. Now, having said that, I'm going to say that, in fact, a young engineer or any engineer should avoid their computer until after they've managed designed their structure. The proper way to design any structure, building or bridge, is to first lay out the geometry. I'm talking about by hand, freehand, no straight edges. Lay it out initially and size all of the principal elements. You can use whatever design aids you want to do that efficiently. You use simple equation like WL squared over 8, it's a great one, WL squared over 12. You can use the CRSI manual, the AISC manual, and any other aids that you have, but design it initially by hand. Initially, the first few times you do this, it might take a day or two. After you've had a bit more experience, you'll find it'll only take an hour or two. And not only that, your initial designs will be more accurate over time, and you'll develop a much better understanding of structural behavior. If you are not 
able to roughly design your structure by hand. You certainly have no business relying on your computer to do so. Now, after you have completed an initial design, then turn on your computer, fire up your favorite structural engineering software, build your model, and verify or refine the design as appropriate. Again, over time, you're going to find those refinements become less and less as your ability to accurately design on the front end increases. One final point. After literally decades of looking, I have yet to find any structural engineering software that can actually think. Now, with AI, artificial intelligence, that might soon change. But as of right now, there is no structural engineering software on the market that can think. Thinking, after all, is your primary responsibility as a structural engineer. No one should ever mistake computing for engineering. I'm responsible for continuing education for structural engineers for Hilti. And I hear feedback all the time from more tenured structural engineers who are concerned about structural engineering software being a, an easy button for some younger engineers who maybe have not taken the time to, as you suggest, sit down and design out and think out the building and the structure by hand. So I think that's a very relevant and real piece of advice that we could all use to be better structural engineers and ensure that we're thinking about the overall design of the building and not just the pieces and parts and the calculations. Stan, your fourth tip for young structural engineers is to be a sponge. Is that related to learning? It's related to mentoring to a degree and to learning in the workplace. Let me explain. In college, Structural engineering students learn how to analyze and design beams, columns, connections, and other structural elements. They typically do not learn how to design economical buildings or bridges, how to comprehend the workflow process from concept through completion, or to understand the role of a structural engineer within a firm or within a multidiscipline design team. All of these things must be learned in the workplace. They cannot be learned in college. Now, mentoring, I know that's dear to your heart, is arguably the most important aspect of workplace training. This is the process by which young engineers are actively coached by the experienced engineers around them. It is a critical process because it is the most effective way to transfer knowledge and wisdom from one generation to the next. Nearly every structural engineering firm will assert that it has a robust mentoring program. The reality is very few firms do. Formal mentoring is not available to most young engineers. The solution is to be proactive and absorb knowledge like a sponge. Start asking questions of those around you from the moment you walk in the door. Ask how questions because they're obviously necessary, but also ask why questions because they normally yield the better learning opportunity. Now, don't be a pest. Don't repeatedly ask the same questions. But beyond that, there are no dumb questions. And I advocate keeping an old-fashioned notebook handy and write down every tip and trick that you learn. That's what I did. You will find that that notebook over time will become an invaluable resource. And down the road, it will be handy in a few years when you become a mentor. It's good advice, especially like you're saying with the, the mentorship. I know it's not in every firm, but 
hopefully we get the word out there that, you know, I find that it's, it's essentially becoming better in the industry and hopefully that continues. And uh, thanks for that advice on that. It's just, it basically helps others out on their mentorship and it helps prepare me to, you know, I document my work kind of similar to the notebook where, you know, I can pass on the knowledge. So that's a really great tip. Your last tip for the young structural engineers is to own your own work. Uh, what do you mean by that? I saved that for last because that's the most important of my five tips. Now, hopefully, every young engineer has one or more mentors and their work is being regularly reviewed. After all, that is the way the system is supposed to work. It's not the way that it worked for me. Going into the oil industry, I was supervised by two structural engineers during my first year after college. Then I was promoted and the oversight ended. I never reported to a structural engineer again for the remainder of my career, and my work was never reviewed by anyone for the rest of my career. Now, working in the oil industry, which is subject to the, unfortunately subject to the industrial licensing exemption, there were no peer reviews, there were no plan checks, there were no PE seals. I was entirely on my own, and I was very aware of that. Whatever I designed would go to the drafting room at the end of the hall and then straight out to the field for construction. If I made an error, I would have to face the consequences. Now, lacking the opportunity for further mentoring and working in an environment where overdesign was frowned on every bit as much as underdesign, I quickly had to become self reliant. In today's world, young structural engineers are aware that they are financially protected, if you would, by their employers and by their employers' insurance carriers. If they make a significant mistake, they may be embarrassed, but the financial pain does not rest with them. It rests with the employers and the insurance company. So sometimes engineers use that philosophy as a crutch. Don't do that. I encourage all young engineers to adopt a self-reliant attitude and to own your work. Invest the time necessary to be sure of yourself and your designs. Structural engineering is a high liability profession. It always will be. Accept that reality and act accordingly. That's also another thing that I think is very valuable because especially with so many engineers now, you know, working on different types of projects, sometimes, you know, if you're a younger engineer, you just might think, oh, someone else will look at this, or I've done my part. And that's really great advice. Instead of just kind of thinking about the whole picture, imagining that if this thing was going to get built, this is the final design, putting in that extra effort, putting in that extra ownership, you know, really ensures a, a better design and, and helps you become a better engineer. So thanks for coming on and sharing these five tips for younger engineers. And I know we're going to have you back. So we're going to look forward to having you back for review of the five tips for structural engineering managers. So thanks for coming on with us, Dan. My pleasure. We hope you enjoyed the conversation with Stan Caldwell today. These certainly are interesting and relevant topics in today's world. If you want to read more about Stan's five tips for young engineers, 
We'll be sure to include the links to the Structure Magazine article in today's episode notes. For those of us who are about to sign off and who are really excited to start implementing these different tips into our daily structural engineering lives, I just want to give you a really quick summary of what we learned today. Stan's five tips include the following. Number one, mind the gap. This is to be vigilant about your load pathing exercises and close gaps in your load path to ensure a reliable structure. Number two was to ensure stability. Don't forget about stability during the construction phase as well as your finished design product. The third item was to design first, then compute. It's totally okay to be all about computers and software and to utilize the existing technology that we have in the structural engineering industry, but take the time to design it by hand first and you'll notice that you'll develop a much better understanding of structural engineering principles. The fourth was to be a sponge. College only teaches you so much. And really, the majority of the learning you're going to do are in those first few years as a young professional engineer. Be proactive and absorb as much knowledge as possible by asking thoughtful questions of how and why. Last but not least was own your own work. Adopt a self-reliant attitude and own your work. Invest the time necessary to be sure of your design. Before we wrap up, we would like to once again thank our sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. Mazer maintains a culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy comfortable work environments, continuous career advancement, and the ability to impact society not only through the projects they work on, but the company-sponsored activities available in them. Mazer Consulting is on the cutting edge of technology, and their opportunistic approach to expansion creates personal and professional growth opportunities across all areas of the firm. Leadership's dedication to the well-being of their employees and their families is demonstrated throughout the wide range of benefits and programs available to them. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 20, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast feed. Until next time, we wish you all the best in your structural engineering endeavors.